Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, where you could leave a rating and review for today's episode, because our guest is an outstanding individual. His name is Dr. Danny Sands. He's an innovator and primary care physician and wears many hats in the field of medicine. He's contributed in many ways, very well known for being the board chair, co-founder, and past president for the Society of Participatory Medicine. We're going to dive into some of that in the podcast. He's a senior partner at SP Consulting. He is a primary care physician, as I mentioned, and he's served as advisor and faculty and chief medical officer at various startups as well as various well-known healthcare companies. And so what I want to do is welcome you, Dr. Sands, to the podcast. Thank you. It's Good to be pl- here, Saul. It's a pleasure to have you on. And anything that I missed in your intro that you want to add there? No, I think that's pretty good. People can obviously read more about me online. We don't have to spend time in the podcast talking about that. Awesome. Sounds great. I always like to kick off the show, Danny, with the why. And so I ask all my guests, why did you get into healthcare? Because it's the genesis of the fire. So what was it for you that got you in the medicine? That's a good question, Saul. So I don't have any doctors in my family. I was certainly always interested in math and science, but also a lot of other things. I did get exposed to healthcare as a kid, really, as a a student in in high school through a uh, dear friend of the family's who is the chief of neurology at the Cleveland Clinic. And he was kind enough to not only show me around the hospital, and uh, this is at the Cleveland Clinic, show me around the hospital, teach me things about how neurology was practiced, But then as I got a little older, he actually let me go on rounds with him, along with his retinue of students and residents. And that was just fascinating. He gave me a white coat and it was kind of like I was one of the team. And he used (laughs) to ask me, like he would go around and ask his residents, fellows questions. And sometimes he'd turn to me and ask me a question, particularly one that they wouldn't answer or they couldn't answer. Wow. And I didn't know anything, of course, but the expectations were low. And it was just really interesting to be forced to think like that. Wow. When I eventually went to um, college, I was on the fence between choosing medicine or uh, because I had worked in technology. Uh, I was also interested in a field of engineering called operations research. And I was also interested in law, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. It it took me about a year or so to figure it out. And I decided that I didn't like those huge books that the law people had to read uh, a lot of. (laughs) And I didn't like the very strange people I'd have to hang out with if I (laughs) studied advanced mathematics and stuff in that engineering space. And a strange thing happened, which was for reasons I still don't understand to this day, on my freshman hall, despite the fact that I wasn't even pre-med, on my freshman hall, Whenever somebody got sick, they came to me. So don't understand that. That's crazy. It's a sign. It's a calling. That's what I figured. I figured, (laughs) you know, well, I'd ruled out the other two things, and this healthcare stuff was pretty cool. And that's really what drove me into that. But as you know, because you've read my bio, I did healthcare, but I was frustrated as I was in healthcare that we weren't taking advantage of information technology. Yes. And honestly, it was like this alternate world where it was an information technology-free zone. So like in training, 
I'd have attending physicians who would be asking the medical student or the resident, say, they would say, uh, for example, Mrs. Smith got admitted with uh, hyperkalemia or high potassium. What was her potassium when she came in? And they'd be asked to recall what her potassium was when she came in. And then they say, all right, what was it a week ago when she was at home? And they'd ask to recollect this. And it was like this recalling information. Or another example, Mrs. Jones was admitted last night after having fainted. She had syncope is what we call it. Right. And I'd like you to name 10 of the 50 known causes of syncope. And, you know, it's just this ridiculous recall. And, and, you know, we had to prescribe drugs and keep track of drug interactions. And I knew that information technology was going to improve the way we uh, provided care for patients. And so I sought out uh, training in that area. I really wanted to make a difference there. And that's why I did training in clinical informatics. And that really was an important change in my life. Wow. And so you you saw it coming. You knew that it was a way that it was going to improve. You took a deep dive. And what was the result of it? Well, it uh, really did change my life because after I finished my residency and I did this training in uh, clinical informatics, I assumed operational responsibilities for lots of clinical systems at uh, uh, Beth Israel in Boston, which became Beth Israel Deaconess. And that was really what I was into. I was all about this how technology can improve the care of patients. But then I took another little detour because as I was doing this, I was developing these technologies that like an electronic health record and a clinician's portal, and I helped develop patient portal and all this other stuff. A funny thing happened, which is that in my own practice, while I was using these tools, I was learning how same technologies, similar technologies at least, could be also useful to patients and to connect patients to clinicians. So for example, Saul, I was using email in my practice back in 1991. You were ahead of your time. Yeah. When the web came out on the scene, I I found all these health websites and I was prescribing information to my patients. And this became a real passion of mine is how this technology can be a tool for patients as well. And that ultimately led me to uh, help develop one of the nation's first patient portals that I mentioned at Beth Israel. And then I went off to industry and while I was there, I helped found this uh, nonprofit called the Society for Participatory Medicine. And, we created that in 2009. And it was so interesting to learn about that. So listeners, I was at Health 2.0 a couple months ago, and that's when I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Sands. We were out for one of the lunch breaks and sat next to him. And talk about just a highly engaging, highly likable person. We sat there and and he had a badge. And that's when I asked him about the society. And so maybe Dr. Sands, for the listeners that don't know about it, maybe you could tell them a little bit about what it is and and just a little tidbit of of that analogy you shared when we were together. Sure. I think that I'll tell you just a a little bit, if this is okay. Uh, This could be on the cutting room floor, but about how this organization was created. Um, That would be wonderful. Yeah. Starting around, let's say around 2000, 2001, there was a guy named Tom Ferguson who was a doctor but never practiced. Instead, he became interested in how patients could really be their own doctors. They could take care of themselves. And and the existing healthcare system really needed to change. We needed to be less paternalistic. He had all these really fascinating ideas that he'd been working on for a long time. And Tom collected people. He collected ideas and people. And over time, he brought together a group of people it changed over time, but there was a core group of people who were doing interesting things in healthcare. And there were people like Susanna Fox, who was doing research on the impact of the internet in, on healthcare. Alan Green, who was a pediatrician who created 
information site for parents about kids, about pediatric health, really. It's like uh, uh, Dan Hoke and John Lester, who together ran this incredible online support community for neurologic diseases. These are the kind of people that were all brought together. And I was brought in because of my interest in the use of email with patients and letting patients see their records through patient portals. And we used to get together uh, annually and, and sort of talk about healthcare and try how we're going to, you know, we'd like to make a difference, how it could be different. And it was great. Tom, unfortunately, died in 2006. Oh. And uh, he died and he was almost done writing a white paper about this new world of healthcare, but through a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So after Tom died, we continued to meet every year and talked about these same issues. We completed that white paper, which you can now find on our, yes. on our website. And then in 2009, we said, God darn it, we're going to make something of this. We're going to create an organization out of this. I love and it. And we created this Society for Participatory Medicine. And we knew a few things initially. We knew that we wanted to represent the diverse voices in healthcare. We didn't just want to be about patients. We wanted to be about doctors and other healthcare professionals as well. We wanted to be about caregivers. We wanted to be about other stakeholders in healthcare, like healthcare executives and entrepreneurs because we knew that we needed to change that culture of healthcare. And from the very start, we actually created a journal, a peer-reviewed journal, the Journal of Participatory Medicine. And we knew we wanted to have members and we wanted to set the bar low for membership so that even patients who were struggling with serious illness and financial hardship could join us. And yet we wanted to have the gravitas of a medical society so that we could actually engage healthcare professionals as well. So that was the start of the organization. And one of the co-founders of the organization, I should mention, is uh, someone who is, uh, goes by the moniker E-Patient Dave. His name is Dave DeBroncart. And I actually brought him into this group because he's a patient of mine. And he's a wow. patient of mine. And one of the interesting things about our relationship is that we used a lot of interesting technologies. And, and there's an interesting story that we've written about, he's written about, about what happened when one day he was diagnosed with metastatic cancer and we wow. diagnosed him with metastatic cancer and he went through treatment and I went through a lot. There's a lot to talk about here, Saul. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm no, condensing great. it greatly. But one of the interesting things is how we use technology and how we used our relationship to really help him through that. Among other things, I prescribed a patient, an online patient support community to him. Huh. And to this day, Dave says, my doctor prescribed ACOR, that was the name of the website, the support group, my doctor prescribed ACOR and it saved my life. Wow. And it really did. And he's written about that. But That's I digress. That was, oh, really he was one of the founders of this group. The organization is really trying to transform the culture of patient care. And in order to do this, we focus on four pillars. And I'll tell you about those pillars in one second, but I want to give you that metaphor that grabbed you so much that it we did. talked about. We were sitting outside at Santa Clara. Oh, man. Um, I'll never forget it. I, and and I listeners, think, get, get ready. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that too often we, meaning both healthcare professionals and patients, think about healthcare as if it's a car wash. And what I mean by that is that the patient is the car and they're somehow dirty. They're unhealthy or dirty. And they're passively cruising through this healthcare system, which is the car wash. And they're getting health sprinkled on them. And somehow they come out the other end and they're healthy. <laughs> and it's so and true. that is the problem. That, that was a major problem. problem that we have with healthcare is totally that, that nobody's engaged. The experience isn't great. 
and we're not getting the outcomes that we want, and it's not cost effective. So uh, we need to change yes. that. We need to think about healthcare differently. It's not a car wash, and it's not a typical service industry. It is a collaboration. It's a collaboration between the patient and the doctor or the healthcare professional. And the subject of that collaboration is the patient's health. And just like any collaboration, forget healthcare for a second, you collaborate with your colleagues about whatever, you can collaborate with your spouse about childcare, whatever it is, it's going to have five elements to make it successful. One is free-flowing communication. Another is sharing of information. Nobody hoards information. It's shared decision-making. It's mutual respect. And finally, it's engagement. So we want that to be what healthcare is all about. So when we think about this, we're, we're trying to change this culture of healthcare, right? And if we want to do that, we can't just do this. It's not a simple silver bullet solution. We've got to think about right. different areas. So we focus on four pillars. And the first area is this community. We have conversations among this community of diverse stakeholders in healthcare. And I've already described that diverse community to you. Yes. And we do that both online and in person. We just had our first face-to-face -face conference. Oh, did you really? Uh, in Congratulations. October. Thank you. It was, uh, was a, it a terrific success. It was in Boston. Okay. We're an international organization, but we certainly have a lot of people in the Boston area. And we will probably want to do this in the West Coast at some point as well and maybe other places, but this was a really great first conference, very engaging, wonderful speakers. And on our website, you can actually view uh, videos of all of our speakers. Ah, oh, fantastic. We'll have to include a link to that, Danny, for the listeners. Sure. And in fact, there's a special bonus, which is that at the closing session, watch the video for that because there is a at special treat that Dave and I did. Really? And I won't spoil it for you, but you got to look at it. Oh, man. All right. So listeners- So that's don't conversation. Don't worry about how to get there. What we'll do is on the show notes of this, we'll put a link to that and we'll make a little note for you to remember to check out that closing session. I'm excited about checking it out too. <laughs> put the hook in, Danny, put the hook in. <laughs> I love it. So that was, uh, that was conversation community. And then we do a lot of online conversations as well. And then the second area is in advocacy where we're trying to influence public policy and influence the hearts and minds of the population. Yes. So uh, whether that's responding to public policy that's being proposed or whether that's choosing an issue and pushing that out, that's the advocacy piece. The third area is in research. And although we don't do research, we publish research in our peer-reviewed journal, the Journal of Participatory Medicine, which is now, as of just recently, is now being published by the JMIR, the Journal of Medical Internet Research. So it's one of their journals. Oh, nice. And then uh, the other project we're starting in research or in the early stages is we're creating a... Um, a research library so that anybody who's a member can find out the best peer-reviewed evidence for things that we do in participatory medicine. So it's that, kind of like a Cochrane library, if you know what that is, but this is focused deep in participatory healthcare. That is wonderful. Um, and, I think that's and, so, yeah, so, so cool. The last area, last of the four pillars, and then I'll uh, let you get a word in edgewise, Saul, is uh, <laughs> oh, education. Is Don't worry about it. So education. We recognize that we have to do education to change culture. That's a huge part of this. And initially, I kind of thought that all we need to do is take care of those recalcitrant doctors, that they are the problem. This is why we need the societies, because those healthcare providers, those doctors in particular, are so difficult. They don't want to share information. They don't want patients going online. One of the things that we realized, though, is that it's not just about the doctors. Because remember that car wash metaphor I gave you? Totally. Well, it, this is a codependency, Saul. This mm. is a codependency, meaning that 
I think patients, many patients and family caregivers are complicit in this and that we, both the patients and the doctors view healthcare as a car wash in many cases. And that's what we want to change. Tom Ferguson, who I told you inspired this organization, had a term that he created many years ago. And that term is e-patients. And the E, everyone thought it was electronic, but the E actually stands for engaged, educated, enlightened, empowered. So we actually awesome. need to train our patients to become e-patients so that they can be more effective collaborators with their healthcare providers. When you first said e-patient, Dave, that's what I thought. I thought it was e as in like online, electronic, but the e is for engaged, empowered. Exactly. Oh, wow. That's so, so interesting. Um, so we want to educate healthcare professionals. We want to educate patients and family caregivers. But we actually ultimately saw want to move upstream. And we want to influence healthcare professionals before they're professionals. So let's mm. get the doctors before they're doctors. Yes. And the nurses before they're nurses. And for patients, we want to get people before they're sick, before they're patients. We want to get them when they're in middle school and they're in health class. They should be learning how to become e-patients when they're young. How do you do this? How do you spread the word? Well, it's a great question and it's not easy. In the case of education, there are different ways that we can accomplish this. So some of us, many of us in the organization do this through speaking, teaching face-to-face, -face, if you will. That's not scalable. So we need to actually create educational modules that we can host or point people to education that other people have created. So I think that's going to be ultimately how we deal with at least the current crop of patients and professionals, as we move upstream, it becomes a little bit more complicated. We probably have to insert ourselves into the curriculum in pre-professional education. Right. And we've got to figure out how to influence a public school health education so that we can include these concepts. Wow. It sounds like a lot of things are being done now, things in the pipeline to do in the future for upstream, but definitely a lot of things in the works. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, thank you for walking us through that, Danny. It's uh, Listeners, as you can tell, Dr. Sands is very passionate about what he does. And we've had several past guests talk about self-management in healthcare. And Dr. Sands is an example of what it is to represent this movement because it makes sense. When you go buy a house, you don't get told what to do by your realtor. You're involved in the process. And, and in the same way, it's a two-way street. So don't blame your doctor. <laughs> it's your fault too. So take the exactly. Yeah, take the opportunity to, to take those steps to make it happen. Dr. Sands, what would you say one of the areas that you're most proud of to date in your career and, and something that other, other leaders in healthcare can learn from? Oh, that's a hard question, Saul. Well, I'm proud of the society. I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish to date. We have uh, far to go, but I think that my experiences there have been tremendous learning experiences for me. I think we've helped a lot of people through our various efforts, and I think we're, we're really at an important inflection point. So the society is certainly something that, that's been great. I think that thought leadership has been something that I think I'm, I'm proud of. I've been able to influence a lot of people through the work that I do, and so that's been an area. And finally, I guess the technical work that I've done, such as all the work I did for many years at uh, Beth Israel in Boston, developing and implementing uh, technologies that are still in use today. And if you had to pull one thing out of that, why you were able to do all of it, what words of wisdom would you share with the listeners? So I think that keeping an open mind about one's career is important. So let me give you an example. I work with medical students and residents a lot. And 
there are many people who come in and say, I know exactly what I want to do. I'm going to do my residency in medicine, and I'm going to get a fellowship in cardiology, and then I'm going to focus on interventional cardiology, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing uh, interventional cardiology. And that's good in some ways. I mean, it's fine if you know everything that you want to do. And every time I was asked an interview question, because they always ask you this, they Mm -hmm. say, so, uh, Danny, uh, where do you want to be in five years? And I never really had an answer for that, Saul. Yeah. I didn't know where I wanted to be in five years because I, I wasn't sure. And I thought it was bizarre that people knew that answer. But at the same time, I felt like I was supposed to know the answer because they were asking the question and they didn't want to hear, I don't know. But one of the things I've learned looking back at my career is all of the exciting things that I've done happened because of serendipity and because I was open-minded about new ideas and new things coming my way. When I think about the whole informatics thing going way back in my career, right? Why did I do that? Because I was frustrated we weren't using technology in healthcare. I said, let me do something totally different because it was a, you know, relatively new in those days to do something like that. I started using email in my practice with patients. I just did it. I didn't like think too much about it. I just sort of did it, but that wound up right. being an important thread that led me to all this consumer health informatics work that I've been doing. That is fascinating. I worked at Beth Israel Deaconess for 14 years doing designing, implementing, and evaluating technologies. And then I just realized that it wasn't quite enough. And I was keeping an open mind. And that's when I moved to industry because an opportunity came up and I moved to industry. And it's those kind of things, just sort of not knowing is sometimes helpful, not being too set. Yeah. I think that's such a great perspective, Danny. And, and, you know, as we approach the things that we have in front of us, listeners, be open-minded. You never know what's going to come, a solution that you don't expect, a path that you don't expect. Be open-minded and you'll be pleasantly surprised what lies ahead. Danny, this has been so much fun. Uh, as we get to the end here, I, you know, I like to do a little syllabus for the listeners through a lightning round. And it's the 101 or the ABCs of Dr. Danny Sands. And <laughs> I've got four wow. questions for you and then a book on the syllabus we're going to put together. You ready? I think so. I'm not sure. I will let me fasten my seatbelt here. So. Fasten it up, baby, because the car is ready to roll. <laughs> what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Oh, really? <laughs> I'm going to go low tech on you here. Let's do it. I'm going to say it's, it's talking to the patient and listening to the patient. Yeah, sure, I spend my life in technology, but I'm not necessarily an early adopter. And I understand that technologies are great when they have value and bring value. But I think that it's not about technology here. It's about listening to the patient. If you listen to the patient, you spend the time thinking about what they may have. I think that's how we're going to improve outcomes. As we educate our patients, we collaborate with them, as I was saying, right? That's going to make a huge difference. And as we're working with them, as we're listening to them, spending time with them, we're going to be able to order fewer tests, order the right tests, and get better outcomes at lower cost. I think that's beautiful. What would you say the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? The biggest pitfall of listening to the patients? I don't think that we ever go wrong by listening to the patients. So I don't think there are pitfalls there. I think the pitfalls come when we don't spend the time to do that. I know that's sort of a circular answer. I would say one thing, though, that I think that often when people hear me talk about this, they'll say, so, Danny, does this mean that the patient is always right? And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the patient is always right and the patient always gets to tell you what to do. 
Right. That's not really what it's about. It's about a collaboration and mutual respect, and that happens both ways. So the patient can't expect to come in and say, I know I've been working a lot, but I have a headache, and I think I have a brain tumor, and I demand an MRI. And I examine the patient, and I listen to the patient, and I, I know that this is from too much work and stress, and that they don't have anything of concern. It's okay to say no, but it's also important that we listen to our patients. We need to have a conversation. So the patient deserves to be listened to, and the patient deserves a rationale, but it doesn't mean that the patient always gets what they want. And, and remember, the patient's coming to see the doctor because the doctor has a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. The doctor is an expert in healthcare, but the patient is an expert in themselves. And that's it. why it's important to collaborate. Love it. That, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Danny, how do you stay relevant as an organization or as a practice despite constant change? Yeah, that's hard. And the change comes in so many different ways in healthcare, especially in the U.S. healthcare system. It sure does. I think that knowledge is the thing that changes so tremendously, is just incredible. You hear all these statistics, the amount of knowledge doubles every three to five years. If you read two medical journals every day, you'll be several centuries behind by the end of the year. Then it just goes on and on. And it's true. It's really a challenge. You know, we all are expected now to maintain our knowledge through continuing education. And I think it's getting a little more challenging because now we have what are called maintenance of certification requirements, which honestly, we all complain about. On the other hand, having just recently gone through a recertification process where I had to make sure I had lots of uh, continuing education and maintenance of certification, I think there is a value to it because things do change a great deal. And I got to say that I learned a tremendous amount in working in the many months that I was working to study for this exam. So I think that we always, in our professional lives, both as doctors and as uh, maybe business executives or whatever, we need to always do that thing that uh, Stephen Covey said once, uh, sharpen the saw. We always have to keep sharp in whatever field we're in. Healthcare is challenging because we have this content area and then sort of the whole payment model of healthcare is changing at the same time. And then we have right. to deal with all these kind of the crazy, the uh, different, uh, all this uh, yeah. quality metrics may be different for different payers and for CMS. And so there's really a lot of overhead and I think waste. And we need to rationalize all this. And it's very easy to get annoyed and distracted and frustrated by all of it. And I think that we have to remember why we went into healthcare. And we have to find the joy of practice and don't dwell on the things that are frustrating. Find a way to make them work from a workflow standpoint, but don't lose that joy in your practice. Sit down with the patients, take a breath, listen to them, and remember how privileged we are to be able to do this as physicians. What a beautiful message, Dr. Sands, and uh, definitely one that I've taken to heart and definitely remember to breathe and to enjoy the moment. What book would you recommend to the listeners as part of the syllabus? Yeah, that's a really tough one, uh, Saul. And, and just so the listeners know, Saul told me he was going to ask me this just not very long ago. <laughs> so because of my interest in, in participatory health, and I think that this is such a huge and important aspect of healthcare, I'm going to say my patient and I wrote a book called Let Patients Help. And I'm oh, going to re recommend cool. that. And I'll give you a bonus one. All right. Which is called uh, Participatory Healthcare that was published by HIMSS, the Health Information oh, Management System nice. Society. And that was published a year or so ago and uh, edited by Jan Oldenburg. 
And that's a really neat book, too. And it really gives you a sense of the scope of this kind of healthcare, which I think yeah. is very important. Obviously, yeah. I could uh, recommend all kinds of medical books and all kinds of things about the healthcare system. There are so many books about healthcare that are just fascinating. I mean, certainly Atul Gawande's books, you know, are just really interesting. Eric Topol's work, also uh, good stuff. But I'm going to stick with the two I gave you. Love it. No, Dr. Sands, thank you for that information. Thank you for those recommendations. And listeners, don't worry about jotting it down. As I said to you, these resources on the syllabus, the books, the links to the conference that Dr. Sands mentioned, all of it's going to be available for you to check out at outcomesrocket.com slash Dr. Danny. That's D-R-D-A-N-N-Y. Go to that link and you shall be able to pull out all the things that we've discussed. So, Dr. Sands, Danny, this has been so much fun. Before we conclude, I would love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place they could reach out to you or follow you. I'll just say healthcare is in a constant state of transition. This is uh, leads to challenges and opportunities. As clinicians, we have the opportunity to be the best clinicians that we can be in these times of, of change. And as business leaders or healthcare system leaders, we also have tremendous opportunities as well as challenges. And I think that technology is bringing us tremendous opportunities as well. And we have to figure out the best way to leverage these technologies. And if you're one of Saul's listeners that are working in a business or a technology in healthcare, I really want you to respect the workflow of both the clinician users of your technology as well as the patients. And you should engage patients and clinicians in the development of your products and your businesses. That's it. Love it. Strong message. And Danny, where can the listeners get a hold of you or follow you? Sure. My website is drdannysands.com. My Twitter handle is at drdannysands. And my email address is danny at drdannysands.com. <laughs> there you have it, listeners. And don't you worry, just go to that outcomesrocket.com slash Dr. Danny, and you'll be able to find all of the ways to get a hold of Dr. Sands, as well as all the links that we've discussed. This has been such a pleasure. Just want to thank you again, Danny, for spending time with us and sharing your wisdom. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun, Saul. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.